Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. My guest today is Fran Mason, who grew up an only child in Chicago's Rogers Park neighborhood and has a degree in creative writing from Columbia College, Chicago. She's writing the second draft of her memoir, informed by her childhood journals, about the struggle to grow up and find a good life after her mother's death. I met Fran at a writing conference last year, and we bonded over having both lost our mothers and writing about it. But Fran was younger than I was when her mom died, so I thought it would be interesting to talk a bit about the difference between a loss in childhood versus a little bit later in adolescence. So welcome, Fran. Thanks, Anne. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to talk to you again. That's great. Um, I'd just love you to tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like and what stands out when you think about your mom. My mom was very joyous. Um, She had a loud laugh. I remember her as kind of a towering figure. Mm. She loved kids and I was the only child. So she loved having my friends in the house. Kids were welcome to run in and out and play and she'd have Kool-Aid and things like that for my friends. She was a very colorful person and her friends and family loved her. Mm. Do you run into them sometimes and they still talk about her? Mostly on Facebook. Mm. People, you know, there were those years on Facebook when everyone was joining. Yeah. And so every week or so you'd find somebody new from your childhood. Right. And so some of these old neighbors would volunteer, you know, Fran, I, I remember your mom, how she planted flowers in front of the building and Um, It was really, really nice to hear people volunteering memories of my mother. Mm. Yeah, I just was um, on the East Coast a little while ago and ran into somebody who had my mother as a teacher. And I love those conversations because people always say, you know, they tell me exactly what they remember about having her as a teacher. So I always welcome those. Those remembrances are so great. No matter how small, it's such a treasure to hear. Agree. Yeah. Um, and I only have like spotty memories of the period of my mother's illness, probably because it was traumatic to see her getting progressively ill. So I just wanted to know if you have gaps in your memories of your mom before she died. And, and what do you remember about the period, like right after she died? I think the gaps in my memory of the time before she died are regular gaps in memory. I have some vivid memories of her illness. She had colon cancer. Mm. She had had her first surgery for it before I can remember. The first one I remember, I think I was eight. Mm. And she died when I was 11 and a half. The last year, I think it was a full year. And this is based on my journals. That last year, I think basically she was terminally ill. Mm. So I remember certain landmarks within that time and have certain things in my journal about what I was doing. Mm. I didn't write about my mother's illness at all. So there's a lot that I don't remember, but I was able to sort of build a timeline for my writing purposes by looking at my journals and my memories and overlaying the two and then checking out things with my aunt who remembered some of them. Mm. So how old were you when you started journaling? It's pretty cool that you have journals from your childhood. I started journaling when I was about eight and a half in third grade when I had read Harriet the Spy for the first time, mm-hmm. which was my turned out to be like a manual for living my life. I, I reread Harriet the Spy probably even when I was 13. I was still rereading that book. 
Um, the oldest journal I have, though, is from when I was 10. And it refers to one earlier journal. And I wrote, I wonder what I should do with my old journal. I'll think of something good. Well, I don't know what I did with it, and I don't have it. So the first one is from fifth grade, age 10. Mm, so you probably buried it in the backyard or something fun. <laughs> yeah, or threw it away if I was embarrassed. You know, that embarrassment is so powerful as you get older and you look at your journals. Right. Absolutely. I can't wait to talk a little bit more about your writing in a minute. But first, I just want to dig in a little bit more to your memories. So what was it like growing up without her? Did your dad remarry or date other people? He didn't remarry um, until five years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just me and my dad in the house. My mother's mother had been with us for over a year when my mom was sick. But as soon as my mom died, my grandmother went back home to Missouri mm. immediately after my mom's funeral. And it was bleak. Mm. Um, I, I dreaded having to get up at 7 a.m. when I otherwise would have been able to sleep in a little bit later for school. I was in sixth grade. It was January, so I was exactly halfway through sixth grade. Mm. So I was getting up in the dark with my dad, and he would make my breakfast and then he'd go to work. Mm. And then I had like an hour to kill before I had to leave for school. And I would lay on the radiator cover and watch the Today Show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was it was just bleak, mm. especially in the mornings. Mm. I think you've written something and you referred me to a book that mentions depression in the morning, mm. like that bleakness is the most powerful in the morning. And that was so markedly true for me that I would feel a lot better by the end of the day throughout my life. Mm. That that bleakness in the morning, especially right then. Yeah. I'll I'll never forget that. I had to go home for lunch from school every day. We we didn't eat lunch at school. I went to a neighbor who was my mom's best friend and had two daughters one of whom was only a year older than me. So we had been friends since we were little and I knew this family but at their house, eating lunch, being with them without my mom, I really felt my loss. I felt like these are my mom's people. I have to measure up and I'm this baby who doesn't know how to eat lunch at someone else's house. I'm using too much peanut butter. I'm doing everything wrong. Mm. And they would never have wanted me to feel that way. I think they had no idea how I felt. I couldn't help it. Um, that was one way that I was feeling grief that I didn't recognize as grief. Sure. And I dreaded hearing my dad talk about his feelings. He didn't do it a lot, I don't think, but once in a while he would say that he's having such a hard time. Your mother was such a great lady, you know, and I, I really miss her. And I could not tolerate mm. him doing that. Mm. I really, um, and sorry, I totally relate to that. I think that's a really interesting aspect of childhood grief is that um, especially once you get into those tween and teen years, is it's really hard to relate to the adults around you who are grieving because you are at a stage in life when you need to be differentiating yourself and separating yourself. And I think that's just one of the kind of the features of childhood or, you know, teen and, and preteen grief is that there's mm -hmm. this need to do it your own way and not to be around other people who are doing it. I, I really felt that the same. Yeah. I feel like it didn't leave space for my finding of my own feelings, mm. even though he didn't do that 
all the time by any means. And he wanted me to have fun and he, he tried to have fun with me and stuff, but I didn't think I was grieving. I, I thought, I literally thought I might not be 100% human being because I hadn't cried. Mm. I wasn't overcome with sadness right right from the beginning and until adulthood i was wondering where did my grief go like why didn't i grieve because i thought i didn't because i couldn't recognize it because i had no help right right yeah and that suppression was happening just to it's like a self-protective mechanism a lot of kids don't cry um, but you probably didn't know that you thought society was mm -hmm. telling you you should be crying or you should be expressing it and showing it mm -hmm. yeah I, I i have a distinct memory of being at my aunt's funeral when i was 11 and not crying and being embarrassed that i wasn't crying because i, mm. I loved her and a lot of people around me family members were crying but i didn't feel anything i just felt kind of blank mm -hmm. yeah and I think, I don't know about you, but with my mom's long and excruciating illness, I admit I felt a lot of relief when she died because it was like, this can't go on forever. Mm -hmm. And she's suffering. And of course I didn't want her to die, but I, I knew she was going to. And part of me was like, cause I was extremely practical, mm. you know? And so part of me was like, this is terrible. And you know, once she died, I felt like, okay, things have to start getting better. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that my dad would be depressed and, and so on. I just thought, okay, the worst is over. Things are going to slowly start getting better. So that may have been part of the reason why I wasn't crying, even though the loss was no less real for that. Mm -hmm. Well, I would also think, and you know, I'm not an expert in this. It's really just you know, from all my reading and, and research and stuff that I've done, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. Um, but I would think that part of it is you had already lost your mother in this, in, you know, in a very real sense that Absolutely. last year. Yeah. That last year. Mm -hmm. So, um, I agree with you. I think you were already grieving and I think that's the, that's another really, important distinction to make between adult and childhood grief is that child children are growing your whole being is about growth and moving forward and so grief is a kind of a a process that's slow and kind of stops you in your tracks and that's that for adults and it doesn't work that way for kids for kids it's really about coping and moving forward and figuring out the next thing and mm -hmm. you know who are my friends and you know, everything that's going on at school and you're just kind of moving through your life because you're growing so much and you're changing so much and so grief, fast. Yeah. Grief doesn't really have a place in that. So it, it kind of is forced to um, take a back seat. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I remember having sort of the impression like the future was dragging me forward because mm. mm. you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't slow down. You had to go right back to school and yeah. The kids were going to be, some of them were going to be mean. Some of them were going to be nice. Nobody knew as far as I knew that my mother had died, except for the two close friends that I told myself. I don't think anybody knew. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's the failure of kind of the period of time that we were growing up in. And I think it still happens where people just don't know how to react and schools don't take an initiative and classroom teachers want to just, you know, keep things as normal as possible. And all of that is, is okay. It's, 
but we need more as a as a child who's going through grief really needs more support um not just from family but also from friends and and the whole community you know to have the best outcome so looking back on what happened to you and what happened to people you know just our age or our generation it's it's kind of heartbreaking how much our grief was you know ignored and not attended to because people didn't know any better i think they thought children didn't grieve i thought i think they believed that the adaptability of children really uh meant that they didn't understand what happened and they didn't need to and they didn't grieve absolutely absolutely and there's still some of that today and i think part of that is you know the adults around us were grieving and so it's a lot easier when you're in the midst of a huge grief process to think my kids will be fine they're they have to be fine you know because i can't do much for them Did you talk to your dad about your feelings? You said he talked to you about his, but were you able to talk to him? And just in what ways would you say your father was able to support you? And in what ways would you say he wasn't? I didn't talk about my feelings with him at all. If I talked about my feelings, I didn't know I was talking about my feelings. I didn't know what my feelings were. I mm. I probably told him things like, I hate boys. I hate going to the sock hops at school. I hate this. I hate that. That was my level of expressing my feelings. Mm. My dad didn't know how to try to get to my feelings. I mean, I couldn't put them into words the way I can now. I can read into what I was saying and how I was behaving, but there was no chance that I could say, I feel sad. I'm afraid of getting my period. I'm afraid of you know, having to start wearing a bra because I don't know how to go get one. I didn't do that at all. I just kept everything just kind of squelched down and I just worried all the time. My dad, the positive thing that he was well equipped for and did a great job at was he kept his good job and he kept our house and I kept going to the same school. He made sure I did my homework and went to bed on time and went to the doctor and the dentist. So, you know, logistically and physically, my life was very stable Um, So I had, Mm. I did have the space kind of and the privacy and the freedom to have my own inner life and be with my two best friends a ton of time. Mm. So I I really appreciate the, I guess, physical stability that he provided, but he was not at all equipped to deal with feelings. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody in my world knew what a therapist was. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So that was out. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a really important piece. And I think so many kids who lose a parent, sometimes they do lose the breadwinner and the whole, their whole life has to change. They have to move or another parent comes in and everything's different or they change schools or whatever. And those big Mm -hmm. changes can really be destabilizing for a kid who's, who's been through that trauma. So I think that is big and it's and it's always healing I think as an adult looking back to think about what did my parents do right you know what what was mm-hmm. great about how they handled it because we don't want to be hanging on to I was so wronged or I it was no. all terrible because it's not it's it's just a lot of different things and it's about sort of sorting all that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about your adolescence like do you remember when you were becoming a teenager like did you feel like your grief changed or shifted or grew with you like how do you how do you think about those years 
I think when I was 12 and in seventh grade, my anger really came out and it was directed at social things like the school dances that we were more or less required to attend in seventh grade in some of the afternoons, every couple of months, they would have a, a sock hop in the gym. Mm. And um, I was furious about being expected to dress up. We had to wear nylons and a skirt and dance with boys, you know, and there would be teachers supervising. And I felt like we were five-year-olds being forced to like play dress up. Mm. I, I was so not ready for that. And I was furious about mm. it. And I felt like I hated boys. And so there's a lot of layers to my old identity of I hate boys that I had when I was 11 and 12 and maybe 13. But that was what I thought. Mm. At the same time, I had a huge crush and it was something I was doing to try to protect myself. Mm. But again, I didn't identify any of this as grief. Right. So I would say now, yes, it absolutely came up with that anger. And then in high school, like eighth grade and high school, I was aware of so many things that I needed to know that I, that I didn't know. And a lot of times I didn't talk to my friends' mothers and I could have, mm. it just didn't occur to me. I, I had two really close friends who I am so grateful to. Mm. Yeah. So I think it was grief in the form of embarrassment and shame at not knowing like, I didn't know how to shave my legs. I, yeah. I, I didn't know how to have good hygiene when I had my period. Mm. Ugh, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> your dad, your dad, so your dad wasn't, he was, he was up to the task in terms of making your meals and providing for you, but not taking on the role of woman, mother, mentor. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was born in 1930. Yeah. Did he ask you things about like, oh, you must be getting your periods? Did he, did you, the period like ever come up? Well, I told him when I got my period. So I had had a conversation with my mom when I was about nine, mm. when I was reading the life cycle library and learning about all the biology and the birds and the bees. And I remember talking with my mom about periods and how you cannot opt out of this. Mm. Like this is going to happen. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's a pain, but it is going to happen. It happens to every girl. So she had kind of laughingly, supportively, but also maybe in a way that might have scared me a little bit. She had been able to really relate to my feeling like, I don't want any part of this because she was like, oh, it's such a pain in the neck. I wish it didn't have to happen to girls when they're so young. Mm. It's such a pain. She says, but when it happens, you know, you can just tell me, gosh, darn it, mom, it happened. Mm. And I'll know what you're talking about. Mm. So when the time came and it was going to be my dad, nevertheless, I felt like, well, I have to tell him that's the way it works. You tell your parent. So I told him when he called at lunchtime, like he always did to check on me. And he was like, oh, I'm so proud of you, Fran. That's great. <laughs> and I thought he was just so like literally insane, like detached from reality completely. Right. If he could say something like that. But, you know, I'm glad now, of course, I'm glad he was positive. My mom's friend, the same one I had gone to uh, her house for lunch the previous year, she helped me get the things I needed. Hmm. So I didn't talk to my dad about it very much anymore after that first time. Right. And I had a few embarrassing messes that I won't talk about. But <laughs> of course. I'm sure we all did. Yeah. But eventually it, um, it became routine, even though I 
hated it every month. Yeah. Yeah. Not having your mom around to say like, oh, it's okay. This happens to all of us. You know, don't worry. Like this blood comes out. Let me show you how to get it out. And yeah, yeah, I didn't have that either. And, and yeah, that's terrible to, um, to grow up motherless through that period. I think is hard because you, you immediately just feel the shame and there's no one to sort of say, this is all normal. This is fine. Don't worry. You know, yeah, even if they did say it, there, there's not much credibility when it's so gory and you're so embarrassed and you hate it so much. <laughs> no, I mean, I think maybe only a mom would have the credibility to say yeah. that. Like if I had confided yeah. in one of my friend's moms, I'm sure they would have said the same thing because they were all very right. nice people. But, um, yeah. but it's so interesting when you talked about the lunches and how um, awkward you felt or you felt like you were doing everything wrong. I can really relate to that even though I was a little older, I do feel like I, I, I probably had a little more confidence as a, just being a human in the world. I felt a kind of an immediate awkwardness with all my friends and their families and just feeling kind of like, like I was missing an arm, you know, like there was just something so wrong with me that everyone could see, but it wasn't, no one was talking about it, you know? Hmm. I don't remember feeling that awkwardness with my friends that I had chosen. Mm. And again, my mom's friend and her family were loving, generous, great people. And I'm still in touch with them. And they, they loved me. I couldn't help it. It was just different. So my, I had two best friends. One lived right next door and she was a year younger. I went over to her house the day I got home from school when my mom had died because yeah, I wasn't, I did go to school that day. Like a lot of us did. Mm -hmm. And I told my friend when she and her mom answered the door, I whispered to her as if it was a secret, my mom died today. Mm -hmm. And she said, I know, I'm sorry. And that was the first thing I thought, oh, she knows what to say. Her mom told her, Mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, that's one thing she knows because she has a mom. Her mom told her what to say probably. Interesting. Well, then my, at that time, I had two best friends at school, one of whom I saw every day and the other one I didn't. So the one I saw every day, I gave her a note and passed it to her in language arts class. And I said, my dad thinks my mom is going to die today. Please tell the other friend for me. Mm. I had to handle my communications, you know? Right. <laughs> so interesting. And they, those two friends at school, both, you know, we just all kept right on hanging out and confiding and going to each other's houses and giggling and yeah. writing on our gym shoes and all the silly things. I mean, so I, I'm really thankful. They were amazing. Mm. And as you were growing up, did you ever seek out any support? Like, you know, I asked my dad in high school, if I could go see a therapist, were you, you said no one had even thought about therapy when you were a kid, mm-hmm. but as you got older, did you seek out tools, you know, or support, or did you just kind of keep going? I just kept going as a kid and as a teenager, I love being outside Mm. and looking for, even though we were in Chicago, bits of the natural world. Um, I was really tuned into and visiting my mom's family who lived um, down in the rural part of the Midwest, the Ozarks Mm. in Arkansas. I felt like that was where I belonged. Mm. I never looked for therapy until my first painful relationship breakup. It wasn't my first relationship, but it was the first breakup that like blindsided me. And I had thought I was ready to be to move on from that relationship. But then when it ended, I was so destroyed, I thought I would never be myself ever again. And that was the first time I went to therapy. And I was 23. Mm. 
And I'm sure that was really bringing up your your grief over your mom was because it was like another big loss. I'm sure that it was. And I, even then, I did not figure that out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Still didn't recognize that that was about my mother as well as about the surprise and the sure. pain of this closeness that was going to go away. But I didn't recognize that until quite a bit later, even in my later in my 20s or my 30s. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I figured out a lot of the connections till I was well into my 40s and 50s even. Yeah. But when did you start writing about your mom and, and all of that? And, and you were in a creative writing program. So were you writing about other things? When did you like how tell me a little bit about your writing? Well, in college, um, I wrote a lot about being in the Ozarks. And I wrote a lot about the sexism in society that I was seeing that I my eyes were sort of opening to when I was 18, 19, 20. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I wrote much about my mother in college. But in my journal, during the time I was in college, I wrote out a whole blurt about everything I remembered about when my mom died and when she was sick. And that was the first time that I put all that down in writing just as a straight ahead narrative. This happened and then this happened and then this happened with some stuff about how I felt in the way that I was able to then express it at 19, mm. that I couldn't express it when I was writing my journals when I was 11 and 12 and I wasn't mentioning it at all. Sure. That's so interesting. So it just, it just occurred to you one day or you just were writing and it just started coming out. Did it take a while to write it all out? I think it took a few days and it was triggered by sort of an angle of sunlight coming through a, a kitchen window. And I still get that in the winter somehow when if you get winter sun, mm. and it reminded me of my mom being in our kitchen. And it's not a specific memory, like a conversation we had, but it was so it felt so real and kind of peaceful. So it sort of gave me permission to dive into writing about this is what this reminds me of. And to try to portray it vividly, which is what we were learning in college. Hmm. And then to just go on and tell the whole, whole story. And I'm sure I did not use that as a writing assignment. Right. You just did that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How beautiful. I love that the light inspired, you know, that moment. That's so, that's so cool. When you thought about your mom, say, you know, through your adolescence, when you were a young adult, did you mostly go to memories before that last year? I'm just curious because I know for me, I, I really um, kind of blacked out a lot of my mom's illness for a long time. I didn't think about it at all. I would always sort of jump back to her as a healthy woman. My go-to memories were of anything she had said to me. And a lot of those were from when she was healthy, but even when she was bedridden and too weak to get up, she would talk to me and I would lay in bed with her sometimes mm. to talk. And so my memories of her were memories that I, I held up as models. Mm -hmm. Like this is a belief I got from my mom or an opinion or a value. This is something she said that helped make me who I am. Mm. She really did a lot. I was a very, very wanted child and she had really communicated that to me. So I, I felt that I was special. I, I was aware that just by being myself, I was my mom's dream come true. Mm, that's wonderful. It helped me to have a decent opinion of myself, even when I was mortified by 
you know, feeling like such an idiot. I, I really never felt that there was anything wrong with me. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm so glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, what are your goals for writing about your, your mom? You're, you're working on a project now and you, how long have you been working on it and what you got you started with that? I've been working on it for almost six years, but this second draft I'm hoping to finish in about a year. Mm -hmm. I started writing it wanting to look into that period of that romantic break breakup that was such a kind of watershed in my inner life because it showed me that I could get over that feeling of total devastation. So I was really fascinated with my young adult relationships that your upbringing and the values and beliefs that you've absorbed, that's the first time they come out into the world is when you have those first close relationships or mm. intimate relationships. Mm. And so I was so fascinated, but th those things kept pointing me back to these like flashbacks, like, well, you know, I had lost my mother when I was 11. And then that would get really, really long until finally, after like a couple of years, I was like, okay, this is my story, this young adult stuff you know, maybe later I can do something with that. But so I worked my way backwards using these relationships as like a doorway into the past. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that about writing that you you can just be writing along, you can have all you, all the intention in the world to write about a certain thing. And then you can end up meandering to something completely yeah. different. <laughs> Real topic comes yeah. out. Yeah, you hope. So for goals, I mean, I want to publish the book one way or another. I don't know what right now I just want to finish this draft and make it as good as possible. I want to share what those experiences were like. A, a lot of them will resonate with other people who, who had experienced childhood loss and they might be informative for people who are interested for other reasons, like something's going on in their own family. Mm -hmm. um, so what what is childhood grief like from the inside? Yeah. And I want to share this story because it's about it's about overcoming and actualization. It's not a trauma story. And I don't use the labels we use today, like the word trauma or resilience or depression. Okay. Because I want to just report in the most like precise and personal language that I possibly can mm. what happened and, and the way I see it and saw it. Yeah. It really creates a balancing act though, because I have to point out certain insights from today that I could not, that I wouldn't have had back then. So I'm, I have to like as efficiently and subtly as possible, put in the adult words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I read part of it and I thought you did that mm -hmm. beautifully. Oh, thanks. And what do you want readers to understand from, from reading it? I mean, Ori said you want them to understand what it's like from the inside, but is there something else you're trying to kind of say with the book? I want to say that children possibly, maybe it's better today, but that children possibly cannot communicate what they need, but that doesn't mean they don't need help. Yeah. So if they act out rather than being judged and blamed, they, they really need help. I don't know. That sounds like a cliche, but when I'm writing my own stories, I can see real specific examples. Yeah. Um, and also I want to make the point that children can also be strong and resourceful and optimistic. Yeah. Because I was, I was an optimist. Oh, uh, no, it doesn't sound like a cliche at all. I think that's a really important point. I mean, that's a big point of this podcast is for people to understand like kids, 
can't communicate what they need because they don't know what they need and they don't know how they're feeling because like we've been talking about, a lot of it is getting suppressed. So, you know, for me, a big piece was feeling unacknowledged. I just think like parents can do a lot for their kids just by acknowledging the grief, even if the kids like roll their eyes and run out of the room when they do it, you know, but it would have, mm -hmm. I know it would have helped me to just have people around me, the adults around me, just acknowledging it. Like, well, you're grieving. That's why you're acting like a jerk, you know, or, mm -hmm. <laughs> or you're grieving. This must be really hard for you this Christmas or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. That's, it'll be interesting for me to think about what you just said and ask myself, what would that have looked like if my dad had tried to acknowledge my feelings, even if I was going to feel that he was off target? Like what, what would that have, have been like? I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. No, I mean, just as the parent of teenagers, I know that like a lot of times they do not want to talk about what's going on with them. And I, you know, you have to kind of gently keep trying, um, especially if you can see it's really troubling them that you have to keep showing them it's safe to talk to me about this. You know, even if you don't know how to say it, or even if you don't have the words, like it's okay to just put your head on my shoulder and, you know, not say anything. But just to kind of acknowledge that you see they're having a tough time, I think is, is, you know, it's sort of all you can do in a lot of yeah. circumstances. I wonder if it makes a difference when I think some people today, they try consciously and intentionally to teach their children how to name their feelings and how to talk about their feelings mm -hmm. and how to say things, say to a friend, if there's a conflict, how to say things like, when you do this, I feel this right. Right. in the way that I've been trying to learn in the past couple of decades yeah. since I've been married, you know, yeah. like we didn't, my friends and I did not learn to talk about our feelings in ways that were really constructive. So among friends, little kids, you know, who are peers just probably act out more than was really necessary if we had known how to talk to each other about our feelings. That's such a good point. I mean, when my kids were in elementary school, I was kind of impressed with the social emotional piece of their education and how they were taught to, you know, stand in these little kind of circles that were drawn on the um, cement in the area where they had their recess. If there was a conflict, they would go to these circles and they had a script that they would go through to work out whatever difference it was. And I think those do really help. Wow. And I do think that like, my 21 year old daughter is an amazing communicator. Like she just is so good at talking about her feelings and being clear uh, with her boundaries. And I just, I do think there's a lot um, that they, as a generation, they're so much more kind of aware and expressive of their emotions than we were. That is, that's a really good point. That's great. So these kids go to the circle and they don't just start punching each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's usually like an adult there, you know, oh. supervising going, okay, we're going to the, I forget what they, there was a name for it. Like the, you know, the, yeah, the peace path. I think it was the peace path. Yeah. Aw, that's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> so my last question is just like, how has writing about your grief changed the way you think about it? Like has the process of writing about your mom sort of changed your relationship to your memories of her and also your ideas about your own grief? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, I've seen more of what was missing and I've mourned some of those things that were missing. And it coalesced into a picture in my mind with, which was like when my mom was healthy and we were connected to her Ozarks family even though they were far away, it was like I lived in this net, like this 
three-dimensional net. And then when she died, it was like a hole blown through this net. And I was living in the middle of the hole and the hole was so big that I couldn't see it. Mm. So I didn't know all the secondary losses I was experiencing. Mm. Like loss of closeness to the family Mm. is a big one. Mm. Loss of knowing how to dress for a dance at school. Mm. Um, You know, so, so many things that I can see now. So I can see like the size of the hole. And today, I mean, just in the past five years, I realized that with my wonderful family of in-laws, I didn't know how to be part of the family. And so I've been working on knowing that I can fully participate in this family. Um, And that feels, I don't know if anyone else is even aware that I've gone through this process, but it feels very healing to me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've been listening to it, but Anderson Cooper has this podcast about grief called All There Is. And I was just listening to the new a new episode. And the whole conversation is really about how when you do start to process a lot of the, you know, childhood grief, everything kind of gets better. Your relationships get better. You're living more fully. Your ability to feel all the emotions gets better. Like there's a kind of a closing off from life that we can do when we had that kind of experience and we, you know, suppressed a lot of it naturally and slowly have to kind of revisit and go back there. And as we do that, it kind of opens up our whole life. Yeah, I agree. I think that's true. Yeah. It's really worth it looking into the past. Not everyone is naturally inclined to dig up their past and reprocess it, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been great, Fran. I really appreciate you coming on. And I'd love to share with our listeners how they can find you or follow you or pay attention when your book does come into the world. Thank you, Anne. It's been great talking to you too. I have a blog, franmasonwriting.com. And I have a substack, franmason.substack.com. Why do I have both? I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. But I can put links to both of those in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Thank you for listening. And please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you're moved to leave a comment, please do so on my Substack. It's called I'm Listening, and there'll be a link in the show notes. And as always, I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. It's from her album, We Fall. <laughs>